Alrighty, everybody. I'm joined now with uh, Craig Bowlerjack. Uh, honestly, again, heartfelt thank you to you for joining me today. How you How you doing? Tucker, good man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so I wanted to actually start out first and foremost with some NFL football. I know pretty much everybody that's going to be listening to this show is going to be Jazz Nation wanting to hear us talk about the Utah Jazz. So we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. But I wanted to start off with the NF NFC Championship game, Tampa Tom versus Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers. Um, but first, before we actually get into that game, I wanted to ask you, who do you think, based off how this year has gone in the NFL, who do you think was more responsible for the success of the Patriots dynasty, Tom Brady or Bill Belichick? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, that, you know we could debate that forever. You know, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was with CBS and I was doing the NFL for 10 years, uh, I had a chance to do a couple of games in New England uh, with Belichick, and I was really intrigued by him. He's a kind of a loner, uh, but a, a football, you know, genius, uh, to be honest. Um, you know, sometimes that's overused, but look, he was very inventive, I guess I should say. And I, I still on my desk, I still have a letter from him. Uh, and I was blown away that he actually took the time to write. I was with um, either Dan Deerdorf or John Dockery. I can't remember who my analyst uh, was, but we got into this conversation and I'd never, Tucker, never heard much about cover two. It was kind of something new at the time and everybody was talking about it. So he gave us a breakdown of how, you know, his mind was working about how he was going to bust cover two and, and, you know, run out, you know, you know, do pitch, bring up a safety, you know, et cetera. And it was like, man, this is unbelievable. So, but just to get a note from him, just say, Hey man, really, really, you had a lot of fun talking cover two. And next time you're in town, man, make sure we, we have a talk, that was pretty awesome. but then, yeah, isn't that cool? But then he became more and more kind of engrossed in the Belichick kind of, uh, you know, like how pops is, you know, kind of, he was a guy you can never really get close to. You, you know, he was um, um, the mysterious one. And, you know, I got to admit, there's no doubt that what they had there was incredibly special, but mm -hmm. also coaches, in my opinion, in, in my, my career, you're, you're only as good as the players that you have. Yep. And there's no doubt Brady is still doing incredible things as he is ready to, to butt heads with Aaron Rodgers this weekend for the NFC championship. And those two guys are at another level all by themselves in that Pey Peyton Manning category of a few years ago. Um, but it, it's, if I had to really say, look, a coach can coach all he wants, but the players and, um, the, the, the relationship they build, especially with their quarterback, drives the boat, in my opinion. And I think what, you, what you've seen this year is Brady departing and going to Tampa Bay and really doing the same things that he did. Uh, he had a rough start, but he has brought them to the NFC Championship, and that's what he was all about. That's what he was supposed to do, right? Yep. And people doubted him. So to answer your question, I really believe coaching is such an important part to keep things on an even ground and to keep egos in check and to, to make it all work. But I think in this, in, in, in most cases, you, you look at what, you know, in, you know, with uh, Phil Jackson and, uh, and what the Chicago Bulls did, could he have done that without Jordan? Uh, could he have not, could he have done it only with Pippen? 
My answer would be no. There's just special athletes that make franchises special and make coaches look even smarter than they are. And that's my takeaway from my experience, you know, doing college and, and NFL and NBA and college basketball. I met a lot of different coaches. They've had incredible players, but they look really smart when they have great talent alongside. It's true. I, in my opinion, both are most likely first ballot Hall of Famers, no matter what happens. Um, oh, and, no question. And honestly, Tom Brady, even the last couple of years that he was in uh, New England, a lot of people were saying that he was done. That he, he, I was probably one of them at some point in time where I was like, dude, there's no way at 40 years old this guy's going to be able to put up the numbers and take a team yeah. all the way to the, to the championship game. That's just unheard of at his age, especially yeah. now. Well, you know what, and I tell you, you look at his numbers and just so far, you know, in the postseason, you know, they're they're not fancy, but, you know, he hasn't thrown a pick and, uh, you know, four touchdowns, but he does the things that you have to do. And I think, too, that even the players that he plays with, and these are all new guys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, you know, Gronk came out of retirement, right? Just to kind of come back and play, play with Tom. But, you know, it's, 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 it's leading and the confidence that that player brings. And I think, again, when you look in the huddle and you can see Tom Brady, and if I'm the other, one of the other 10 guys, I'm going, okay, man, I'm going to follow this dude yeah, we're because good to go. <laughs> he, he knows he's been there. And I, I want to know what it is that got him there. And so if he's, he's been there, and he's got rings on almost all of his toes now. Uh, I'm kidding, but, but you know it makes you think. It's getting there. Okay, yeah, I'm, I understand, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to follow. And that's really kind of what great players do. They bring along, you know, the guys with them and make them even better. And I think Tom and Aaron Rodgers have all done the same. Uh, and they're and they've been at it a long time, and they know in clutch situations how to get it done. And there's no panic. I think that's the other part of it is that most of these guys just don't panic. And they have confidence they can lead them back. And many times, I can't argue with Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, right? And even Mahomes. Mahomes has done it multiple times. So uh, I think the last time these two teams played, Tampa and Green Bay, it was week six, if I'm correct. Um, What's surprising to me, though, from what I've read, is Tampa Bay actually played zone more than 60% of the time, which is quite surprising when, when you have that kind of talent in the NFL. You're... You're going to be playing half and half, either man-to-man, and then, like you were talking about, cover two, which is something they, they do a lot. Um, but Rodgers, this will be the first time that he's actually had home field advantage at frozen t- in the frozen tundra for the NFC Championship game, which is really surprising to me. I, for some reason, I thought a couple of years ago when they actually won the Super Bowl that it went all the way through uh, Green Bay, but I was wrong. So wh- what do you think about how Tampa is going to play Aaron Rodgers and kind of what the outcome of the game is going to be. You know, that's, that's the question. And again, I think both defenses going back just to kind of separate the question a little bit is that both these guys have a lot of miles on their legs and they're not as mobile as they once were. Okay. So if I'm a defensive coordinator, I think the bucks and the Packers both try their best now look who's better to pick up a blitz than a Tom Brady or an Aaron Rodgers but I still think they're going to try to force their hand at putting pressure to force them to make 
a mistake, a fumble, a turnover, et cetera. And I would think the, the, the quicker they have to force the ball out of their hands, that's going to be the key to this game, in my opinion. And, you know, Mahomes, and just flipping real quick to the AFC, Mahomes has more ability to float outside and has still a lot of runability at his young age, even though he looks like he's going to play. He went through practice and what took all the snaps, uh, and he's still under the protocol of the concussion last week. <clears throat> but he still has youth on his side and athleticism still and I'm not sure what the foot is right now, too. He had, he had a, a bad toe you saw last week early in that game. Yeah. But I still believe that Roger still needs breathing room, and so does Tom Brady. But if you pressure them, there's the opportunity, I think, in a game of this of this nature, that you have to have – you're going to have to be the turnover leader to win it and get your, get a shot at, at another Super Bowl. So um, that that's the, the – the way I kind of break it down is blitz packages defensively against both these guys. If they can't establish a run, it may give them more time to get the ball out of their hand and, you know, bust the zone, find seams. And both of them are dynamic in doing so. This is really to me a hard call because of just what they've done and the resume they've built. So let's see what happens. Um, that's, you know, you can break it down all you want, but I still think in my experience, when I've talked to coaches throughout my career, uh, honestly, every guy tells me the same thing. Uh, let's establish the run and let's win the turnover battle. And that is really a, a very simple way of breaking down any game, because in reality, if you do establish a run game, you run clock, you get first downs, you keep your defense off the field. And then if you do blitz and you do force that turnover, you get the ball back or you have a chance to score on a pick six uh, or have a short field to work with. So there you go. And I, I still think that's going to be the, the way that they approach these two quarterbacks this weekend. I'm, I'm hoping we get to see Tampa and the Chiefs in, in the championship. And I know based off the history that, that you have being from Kansas City, you're a diehard Chiefs fan, so I know you want <laughs> yes. the same thing. Unfortunately, I'm a diehard 49ers fan, so last last year's Super Bowl was very rough for me because the first three and oh, a half yes. quarters were phenomenal. I'm like, oh, we got this in the bag. This is phenomenal. And then all of a sudden, like you said, the runability and the escapability of Patrick Mahomes just torched us the last seven minutes of the game. It it proved to be the difference uh, to have an athletic quarterback and the fact that he was able to, uh, you know, dance and hug sidelines and, you know, just not for a young player of Patrick Mahomes stature, who's already an MVP in this league, which is insane and a Super Bowl MVP. You know, he's a calm, cool, collected cat. I mean, and he has the same temperament of, of the Joe Montana's of the day. And, you know, uh, and uh, and the, the, the two quarterbacks in the NFC championship, you know, that's hard to learn, but it comes with success and he's found it early. And I, I think as he moves forward, uh, the, I, I see the same, no panic in his, in his play. Yeah. They may have some defensive, you know, issues that they, they need to still address in the off season. I'm speaking of Kansas city, but they have a great ability not to, to, to panic if they give up an early touchdown or even find themselves down, you know, a seven or 10 spot in the fourth quarter because they know they have Mahomes. 
Yep. And Butker can kick the field goal from out of state, but he can't make extra points for some reason. <laughs> I don't get it. So, um, you know, there's a lot of great storylines of both of these uh, uh, AFC, NFC, you know, title games. And I'm excited to see how this plays off. But if if I'm not mistaken, look, Aaron Rodgers may have the better uh, better team, but Tom Brady seems to have a more magical side to his play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it would be intriguing to see old, new uh, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes team up or or go up against each other in a in a Super Bowl. You know, why I was excited, too, was the fact that Kansas City uh, hadn't won a Super Bowl in 50 years. That's a long haul, man. Yeah, I was just is. a little guy uh, when I was at uh, I had a little uh, red windbreaker. And I went to all the Chiefs games, and I sat in what was called then the Wolf Pack at Old Municipal Stadium before Arrowhead was ever built. Uh, but those are great memories, great days with some great names, by the way, that many are in the are in the Hall of Fame. Willie in there, Curly, uh, Curly Culp, Buck Buchanan. You had Lynn Dawson uh, at, at, at quarterback, Eddie Podolak, and Otis Taylor, and Fred Arbanis, who was the tight end. I mean, there was just great names that I grew up with. But it's been such a long haul for the Chiefs to get back to that level and to win it twice in a row would be unbelievable. Kansas City, the city would erupt again and expect more, too, by the way, because of Mahomes' young age and the the, the players that he has, Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. And again, there's a love affair in KC with Andy Reid, who has, uh, you know, BYU ties. So uh, it's it's uh, it's fun. It's fun time of year. I'm glad also that the league was able to get this far. I wasn't sure they could complete it too with COVID, but I'm glad we're, we're at this point. And we'll get to the whole COVID stuff too. when we start talking NBA, but what I wanted to touch on too, real quickly before we move on, um, these guys actually met back in week six as well, the bills and the chiefs, which is kind of crazy when you start looking at everything. It's like, okay, both these, these two games, all four teams met in week six. I, if if the outcome's the same as week six, then we're going to get the Chiefs and Tampa Bay. However, what surprised me when I was looking back at this is the Bills really tried to take the top off the defense, and that allowed the Chiefs to have upwards of 250 yards on the ground, um, which is why the Chiefs are so hard to, to just beat in this day and age is they can do it both ways. They got a good offensive line to where they're able to open up some good holes for their running backs, and then, like you said, you've got an MVP, Super Bowl champion at, at quarterback in Mahomes that has so much confidence. And I think that's one of the biggest things that you need as a quarterback and really just as an athlete these days. It, it'll get you around a lot of different things if you have enough confidence in what you're going to do that you can go out there and take care of business. So, Yeah, no, you know, that, that I'm looking back at that game, by the way. The Chiefs were five and one, and they they had played really well too on the road, and they'd actually had some troubles early, you know, winning at Arrowhead. But the 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 Bills ran the ball a lot that day. I remember, and Mahomes was able to out toss Josh Allen. I think Allen actually had a pretty poor day. He had a pick, and Mahomes threw just kind of his typical you know 230 yard day with a couple of touchdowns, but. You know, it'll be interesting. Once you see a team once, you you have plenty of time to prepare. And, um, you know, they thought about it since week six. And and here we go. Josh Allen may be the biggest surprise. I kind of get the feel, honestly, that the Buffalo Bills have the same kind of, 
uh, swagger that the Chiefs had last year, kind of the uh, the upstart Bills. You know, they've got great history, but it's been such a long time since Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas, yep. you know, had such horrific luck trying to win Super Bowl titles. But yeah, it, you know, the kid from Wyoming has really grown up fast, and I thought he's had a terrific year. He's he's played extremely well, and you know, when your QB has those type of numbers, which are very much almost in step with Mahomes, good things happen. Yep, agreed. So, final take, you're taking the Chiefs, I'm guessing. Well, as far as, hey, what I have been doing this afternoon was following some buddies of mine in KC where I've still, I went to school at Kansas State, so I've still got a a great group of friends back there. And then I was trying to look at the Chiefs website, and he went through practice, took all the snaps, and yes, cleared Yep. So as of like two you, hours ago, I think. I think it's two hours since we're talking that Mahomes actually has gone through the protocol of last week and he's going to be able to go. Um, you know, one thing I've always concerned myself in this business is in football, especially, you know, don't push a player back too quick, especially with concussion protocol. Yep. And I understand the need of Patrick Mahomes and also for television ratings, right? You know what I'm talking about. Yep. Uh, they would love to have Mahomes and Allen going head to head to make this the best game possible. But, you know, doctors are involved. He's got to know his body better than anybody as, as well. So if, if they're all comfortable and they've gone through MRIs or x-rays, whatever, you know, the protocol is and all the tests they put these guys through, he must've come through it pretty quick uh, and, 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 and pass those tests. So, Let's see what happens. It's uh, it's going to be a good matchup. All all both games uh, have great talent and should be really entertaining. And it usually comes down, you know, one miscue during the course of sixty minutes could cost you, you know, cost you a trip to the Super Bowl. True. And uh, we'll see how this one turns out. But I'm guessing uh, defense and probably pressure blitz and if a, a pick or a fumble along the way will be the determining factor. I. I'm- Fully 100% agree with you. So I want to get to the topic that Jazz Nation is really going to tune in for. But I wanted to start by getting your take on the new NBA, the restrictions, and also just you can split up these two questions. But uh, the 1,500 to 2,000 fans that we allow in the stadium, if you think that is giving us some sort of home court advantage, because I know the home teams have actually really struggled to this point in the NBA, due in large part to the fact that they don't have – anybody in the stands so yeah it's another great question you know because coming out of the bubble there was nobody i mean all you had was um you know uh, you saw people through their zoom right it mm-hmm. was uh kind of manufactured uh fan base the best they could or cut out cardboards how about that um but yeah i, I think the jazz i only talk to players and i feel really isolated myself only having a chance to to see these guys through a zoom call every day and i miss the one-on-one interaction you know walking to the bus together and getting a little kind of a one-on-one insight i miss that and so now i'm just kind of it's more sterile uh i think is is in most cases arenas are um you know they're built for fans they're built for energy they're built for emotion and right now, there's just 11 teams, if I'm not mistaken, at last count, you know, just allowing some fans in. And I think it's got to help. I really do. 
I mean, the 1500 still looks a little scattered around the arena, to be honest, on those home games. But at least it has some energy that, you know, the players, if they look up, they can at least see a, a face yep. or a jazz jersey. Off of. Yeah, see a jazz jersey or a hat to say, OK, yeah, this is my. Oh, oh, oh that's right. We're playing at home tonight. Yeah. So I, I would think it's got to help. Um, does it is it a, a cure all? No. But I, I do think it gives some advantage. And even I think even for the visiting team, some teams feed off negativities and a few boos here and there. Um, I'm going back to the Stockton Malone days. They didn't care where they played. They just went in and just mowed down, you know, opponents. And they were so dominant uh, at old, what was Delta Center at the time. Same building, different name. Yep. Uh, but uh, I, I do think it plays into the into the minds of the players um, that they're home and that this is their floor and these are our fans. And also there's other teams that kind of like being the bad guy. So it can kind of play, I think both, you know, both ways. But I, I think the, the big thing for me is that the league at least has stuck their toe back in the water safely trying to reintroduce fans into stands safely. Yep. And that's the most important thing. And so far it's working. And I hope along the way, even though we've had postponed games, as you know, um, I'm hoping that the fan base, maybe we continue to kind of ease them in more and more as the season goes on. And as vaccines become more available, I think you'll see, you know, the sports world open themselves back up uh, little by little by little. 100% agree. So 11 and four, I think this is the best start that the Utah Jazz have had since the D-Will and Boozer era. What, what can you attribute this early success to? Well, let's see. I think there's a lot of good storylines in that in that question. Uh, I'm going to start just with the backcourt because what I've seen is that Mike Conley gets it. And there was so much pressure on him last year, as you know, from the fan base, thinking he was going to hit the floor and just take off and, and do his thing. But it was a totally, you know, and I'm not making excuses. I'm just trying to talk real here for a minute because – 12 years with the same franchise is difficult and it takes time to adjust knowing that he was the main uh, ball handler. And, you know, really Memphis at that time was really running the true point guard, yep. you know, distribute, run the show, get your buckets when you can, when everything else is shut down. And he had a hell of a year His last year's his 12th year with, with Memphis when he came to the jazz, but now you walk into a situation where Quinn's system is totally different than what he ran in Memphis, multiple ball handlers, you know, it's not only Conley, but it's Donovan Mitchell it's Joe Ingles. And then when Clarkson hit the floor last year, after the trade, you have another guy who who's going to handle the ball. So then the hamstring happened and then confidence wanes and he's all of a sudden the bad guy in the yep. social media aspect. And, uh, you know, he re kind of established himself just before COVID hit. And then we're out of action for what, five months. And then he played incredibly well after the birth of his new baby. Uh, he was out and back in. And I thought he just looked like a totally different player. Comfort, knew the system, understood it, knew he wasn't going to be the main ball handler. He could also still get, you know, players uh, involved in the offense. He's working alongside Donovan, understood what he needed, and now run it hitting the floor this year. They just seem to be one of the most dynamic backcourts 
they're not the biggest backcourt in the world. They kind of remind me a little bit of, of what Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum size-wise, but yet they're producing and they're coexisting uh, with not a lot of issues. So that's the first place I go. And then I think, you know, you've got a healthier Boyan over the last week and a half where he's mentally pushed through getting away from the surgery that he underwent in the offseason. And then also, I think Jordan Clarkson is one of the most dynamic guys off the bench in the league. Right now, he's an easy vote for sixth man. He leads the league off the bench in scoring. And Joe Ingles, too, I believe, probably understands his role better now and runs the second unit as good with when he's healthy. He missed those four games. But I think when you're a starter and you say, okay, I can handle anything the coach gives me, I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 you know, it hurts to, to be taken out of the starting rotation and then delegated to a bench guy, but it does take time to accept the role. And I think Joe's done it. And what we saw the other night, uh, the last game I called, he knocked down, you know, five threes. And of course, uh, the victory as we speak last night, back to back wins against the Pelicans. And now we're looking ahead to see how we play against uh, Steph Curry and the Warriors. Yeah, so last night, speaking of that, uh, 129-118 <laughs> win. I think there was a huge defensive struggle in that first quarter, but it seemed like they were able to kind of clean it up, stay in the game, and actually headed into the half up one, which I was really surprised about. But I think, as you said, Jordan Clarkson has been phenomenal off the bench. The, the confidence that he enters the game with, last night we were down 16 when he entered the game. And within 45, 60 seconds, he hit two threes. Uh, I, I think it was Conley or it might have been Mitchell that hit a layup, and boom, we're down eight. Like, the, the tide turned so quickly, and I think it was in large part due to Jordan Clarkson. So, um, Yeah, Tucker, I tell you, I, I really – I'm with you. I, I think what the Jazz were surprised is that – Van Gundy made some minor adjustments and you know what the power of the three, right? Wouldn't you agree? Yep. The the Pelicans, the Pelicans, uh, I'm sorry, I hit my finger on the speaker, but the Pelicans are are not known for the three point shot, but they look dynamic in the first quarter and the Jazz were probably, you know, thrown off uh, on the back of their heels a bit, but again, defensively, they made some adjustments and they became the aggressor. And all of a sudden, you know, Donovan also explodes and and plays his typical game. And Clarkson, as you said, is is a guy that just has a motor that won't stop. And I love that he keeps the dribble alive. And if he's trapped, he still seems to find a seam and he gets the ball at the rim or he kicks it out. And the Jazz have, you know, opened the floor up with space uh, and they have the corner three look and that's really been the big success for the Jazz, too. I was never expecting this type of dominance from outside. But when you look at this roster, Tucker, uh, my goodness, uh, there's a there's every player one through nine uh, and take Gobert out of the out of the mix from three. But there is a multitude of three point shooters that can get the job done. And right now um, they're they're showing just how good they are in the league. Oh, yeah, I think. uh Stat of the day, in my opinion, the Jazz have made 248 three-point field goals this season, which is the most through the first 15 games in NBA history. Uh, that that really surprised me, and that includes 133 made threes during the seven-game winning streak, which is the most ever during a seven-game winning streak in the NBA. 
Yeah, they uh, they lead the league in makes and they lead or they're number three in attempts. And I really think that that attempt number may even just go up a bit. You know, they were the last time I was on the see, I'm preparing for the Warriors tomorrow and I haven't gotten to the three point stat yet, but there are about 41 attempts. Uh, and you know what's amazing when you hear, um, you know, Quinn Snyder speak the green light is really green as I think that's his, that's in his words, right? It's, yep. it's bright green. It's lime green, you know? <laughs> and so the, when you get that as a player and I think they're smart enough too to always continue, what impresses me is that they continue to rotate the ball as we call the blender, you know, big T and, and Matt like to call the blenders on, but it's a beautiful thing to watch when you get seven touches before the shots taken in a 24 second shot clock. It's an amazing thing. They also are trying to up the pace they're also trying to get the shot off a little quicker too, but when they need to, they're still patient and, and not selfish just to take the shot. They're going to share the ball until the open shots there. And they have confidence among the seven of them to say, look, it's your turn. No, mine, you got the best look. No, I, you know, I'm looking at the rim, but I'm going to kick it out for three. And it's, uh, it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch right now. Agreed. Um, do you think that's sustainable for the entire season? Great question. Tucker, you know, I don't know. I, th- I think Quinn hopes it is. Um, I think you're going to have, let's be real, there's going to be down nights. And we've seen it where yeah. it kind of blows through like the flu. You know, it's bogey doesn't have it. Then you think, well, maybe Clarkson picks it up. Nope, he doesn't have it. Joe, nope, doesn't have it. Conley doesn't have it. And it's really an amazing thing. When the first couple threes go down, the, the confidence that it brings to the rest of the team. And that's, I think, for any team. So what I think you're hoping as the season goes on, if you have a down night, who can uh, adjust their game to a mid-range look, uh, even going more to the rim for high percentage shots, and then maybe restart. And, and, you know, two former players in Big T and Matt Harpering always say the same thing. When you see the ball go in early, it's a huge advantage for where you go from that point. If you miss a couple early shots, then make sure you get your confidence, refine your confidence, retool your confidence at the rim. Get something easy and then work your way back out. And I think sometimes the three is so dominant in this league that you just keep pumping up threes and all of a sudden you see the the box score, you know, one of ten. And that happened to to, uh, to Donovan just a a few nights ago. But he was able to to rethink it, uh, gather himself late in the third, and then found his game. You know, and all of a sudden, 20 points seems to, seems to be nothing right in this league, especially with the Jazz and Donovan. Uh, 20 points used to be kind of a, a watermark. You know, Hayward back in the day, you know, that was a big thing when he actually averaged 20. It didn't happen in the in the Jazz way of doing things back in the day. Yep. Uh, but now they've got enough shooters where I'm not surprised that Clarkson, Donovan, Boyan or even Joe, there's nights you may see all four flirt with 20 or even get there the way, the way that this offense is built. Yeah. It's pretty crazy to watch. I love watching it. Um, however, last night, like you said, you had to watch that TNT broadcast, which for me was kind of difficult to watch in some aspects. Um, I kind of wanted to get your take on what transpired throughout the game and also after, which I think the players handled it fantastic. But do you think it was dis- disrespectful or was it more motivational that they were trying to 
Huh. You know? Man, you know, I got to be honest. Uh, I, I miss, I, I love calling every game. So, uh, you know, I, I do learn listening to the national guys because I've been in those shoes and criticized when I called NFL games and you jump into town in New England or, or, um, you know, Seattle and the locals are saying, what do you guys know? You know, well, you know, we're just trying to do the job given. And, you know, I followed the NFL. I thought follow the NFL, the, the NBA, and that's what my job is. You know, mm-hmm. I, I follow every team I possibly can. Do you do it? Do you know them as well as local? Most likely not. And the, the beat writers are, are very protective in that. Uh, I found that out, but to get back to your original question, you know, I know Kevin, uh, really well. He's a KU grad. I went to Kansas state. He's, you know, was a chief voice of the chiefs for forever. And then, uh, jumped into Minnesota, uh, to do the Timberwolves for quite a while. And then of course we worked together, uh, for quite a while at CBS and at ESPN, um, back in the early days. So I know Kevin well, and I respect his, his uh, work ethic and the way he prepares. I don't know Reggie that well, but I thought it was a good broadcast. You know, I, I didn't have any issues with it. I thought it was balanced. Uh, there were runs. Of course, everyone's so intrigued with Zion Williamson, right? Mm-hmm. Big guy, injured most of last year. And sure, there's a lot of spotlight on a guy like that. I get it. Um, and also, I think fans here in Salt Lake and beyond who are Jazz Nation fans, they want some love and it's deserved yep. seven straight after last night, Donovan first all-star appearance along with Rudy last year and two-time defensive player of the year. But you know, you're almost were waiting to see what the ball to be dropped, right. To see what was going to be said by Shaq because he had actually taken uh, some issue with, with Rudy. Uh, and it really kind of comes down to, to, to the salary that's being paid in the league. Now uh, these guys have been out for a while and salaries are out of sight, let's be honest. And I, I don't think there's anybody that would argue that. But it's also driven, as you know, by television and their right fees that they pay the NBA uh, to put those games on air, just like last night. They picked the, the, the Pelicans and the Jazz. So in the post game, I was like, okay, wow, they've got data. That. Interesting. This will, should be an interesting conversation. But it turned south immediately after what Shaq had said at halftime that Donovan wasn't going to be a high level superstar. He was the second or third option on a championship team. And I really was taken back by that. And so I kind of, in my mind was trying to decide, okay, what's he talking about? And I looked at the game and I, and I thought, okay, you know, offensively alone, Tucker, they, they have to respect Donovan. And what happens is you start to then put two players on Mitchell or try to crowd him out behind the three line or not let him drive to the rim. What's it, what's that do? It opens up Mike Conley. It opens up Jordan Clarkson. It opens up Boyan or Joe Ingles, and even really some rim play for Gobert. So I don't understand the concept that he doesn't have any more to do than just score because his presence alone opens the floor. Okay. That's my take. Now Shaq would probably argue with me, but he wants him to be a double digit rebounder or assist man. Uh, He's about halfway there in both categories, by the way. Five and five last last night, I think. Yeah. I think he had seven boards, if I'm not mistaken. Let me see here. I, I don't know. Let me just. Uh, while we got a second, let me just, uh, I've got all these papers on my desk, but yeah, Donovan's line last night, 34 minutes, 11 of 19. So right off the bat, you say pretty efficient, right? Oh yeah. And he also hit six of eight 
uh, from downtown, perfect from the line, eight for eight. And that's the other part of his game that he's trying to continue to improve on is to drive, get to the rim, fouled, and be – and he's a very good free-throw shooter. But seven rebounds uh, and also five assists, and he had a block shot. Uh, okay, on the negative, he had four turnovers, uh, four of the 15 turnovers by the Utah Jazz. So um, that, to me, is a hell of a box score, and I think any coach would take it, right? Yep. Uh, I think Shaq – you know, when the interview happened, I, I just sat there and stared and I thought, really, that's where you're going. And I, you know, to, to Donovan's, um, maturity, man, I don't know. Some guys would have maybe blown a fuse or say, you know, what the hell are you talking about? Yep. But, uh, what's, uh, everybody, I, I, I think is what he said. Not all right, but I, eat. Yep, and I eat. so I, eat. Uh, there'll probably be some shirts in the stands tomorrow night with, with that on there. Uh, I may have to throw it in the broadcast. To be I already honest. bought a hoodie. <laughs> Did you? Did you? I, yeah. I, yep, I, but I, I think a lot of different players were, would have reacted differently. I don't know what drove that question. Um, you know, he played with Kobe and Kobe took a lot of limelight away from Shaq and they didn't have that great of a relationship. I don't know because he's a big that he doesn't respect Rudy and the money that he that he earned, and the two-time defensive player of the year. Uh, look, Shaq was a beast, no question, and was incredible at the at you know mid-range or in not mid-range but at the rim, and he was a horrific free throw shooter, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and this isn't to 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 knock on Shaq, but I'm just thinking in my mind, what does he have against Gobert? Look, Rudy let's be honest, has one-dimensional issues at times, you know, at the rim. I would love to see him have a sweep hook. I'd love to see him step back and hit a nice six-foot jumper when defenders, you know, collapse and he's able to step back. You know, I think it's an ongoing process that we see maybe once in a while, a little blip, a little light that maybe he's starting to, you know, maybe put another offensive shot in his arsenal. But at the moment, you know, his job in this jazz, you know, system is to defend, disrupt, block shots and be uh, a monster at the rim. And he's got a couple of players that lob the ball at the rim and he's very, you know, efficient there. Now, there are turnovers when they try to force a ball into him and he doesn't have the hands to catch it hip high or letter high. It's got to be above his head. So that's probably what Shaq doesn't like. The accolades. Um, that have come, but maybe in his mind, Rudy's only one dimensional. And I don't think the jazz speak of him as being an offensive juggernaut, but also he gets buckets, easy buckets at the rim because they look for him and he, he picks up offensive rebounds and putbacks. So, but that's one story, Tucker, the other one I don't get right now. I really don't. He's 24 years old. He's barely into his fourth season. He's constantly in a growth pattern for my position, for my chair, as I call it. And I've talked to him about continuing to rebound the ball and, and wants to be a better uh, passer, assist man. And I think once he turns the turnovers down a little bit on, on those passes, you see what I see. The Jazz team seem to become very much a little lazy in the pass across court, and that ball's picked off. Donovan's guilty, so's Mike. But, you know, you start to understand by mistakes. But I don't know where this is going to go. 
and it could be a huge motivator. And does Donovan explode for a triple-double tomorrow against the Warriors? Who knows? But it's I'm sure it's going to be talked about for a while. And I'm sure Shaq's been asked the same thing um, about what's up with the Jazz because we've got them again later in February and the, you know, the second half of the season hasn't come out yet, but it's, it was a little, uh, it was more than confusing and uncomfortable. And I think even for other NBA fans kind of felt this, not just jazz fans, Mm -hmm. but anyone watching last night was probably going, what the, what is up with that? Because I think Donovan has in a very short time garnered a lot of respect around the NBA and I think that that one was uh, one that I still haven't figured out. I think that's what Donovan does well, though, is he knows the only people that he needs to have that like accommodating feeling from is from his peers. As long as he knows that those guys in the NBA respect him, he's feeling good about himself. No, you, you make a great point. His teammates and his peers that are in the league who know the player that he is and will become. I, I think it's just barely – we scratched the surface offensively. Uh, he's becoming more efficient. Um, I think he understands the role. Last year, he was sharing time with Mike and the ball, and they didn't know what to do You know, in the backcourt. If you watch the two, they seem to be on the same page. And I think they're, you know, even Mike's grown. Look, he's 14-year pro, and I think Conley's even improved his game, and he would probably tell you that. And that just doesn't usually happen in this league. Some players just shut it down after four or five and say, look, don't bother me. I know how to play this game. But the beauty of Connolly, from what I've seen, is that he's been able to adjust and able to even improve his three-point shot. So, hey, uh, if the Jazz want to be the sleepers and go under the radar and then make a splash at the end of the year, I don't think anybody's going to argue that approach. Look, all eyes are always going to be on L.A., as you know, Tucker, with the, with LeBron, as long as he's in this league, and Kawhi and Paul George, the Clippers and the Lakers. You know, that's where, you know, that's where stardom is. And you have to grow into a star, and I think that's what Rudy and Donovan are doing at the moment. And you know what? When LeBron retires, the Jazz continue up on the upward path, let's hope, with no injuries along the way. Uh, and you get Curry, you know, Steph Curry and, and uh, uh, is, is waiting for his running mate, Clay Thompson, to heal up again. And we'll see if, if the Golden State Warriors reclaim anything that they once had. But, you know, father time, man, the, the clock continues to tick. It's the same way in, in Brooklyn with the Nets, you know, Kyrie now and, and, uh, and, and Harden. And you've got Durant who's coming off the Achilles. You know, father time seems to always win. And, you know, the time is always now to win because you never know what's going to happen. Just ask Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. Well, speaking of time, I think I've kept you far longer than I anticipated. I could sit here and talk sports with you for days, hours, (laughs) however long I possibly could have you. But No, it's been fun. I appreciate the call. We'll do it again. Amen, dude. I fully appreciate it. Um, Go Jazz, baby. Take note. I think the ceiling is probably Western Conference Finals and possibly a championship this year. As long as we keep our head down, we do the things that we're supposed to do, and we just keep level heads. So, well, again, you, you stay healthy, you get a little lucky, and that's really kind of part of the, the, the equation to it all. You know, you really have to have some luck along the way, who you draw in what round, 
and also the health uh, of the Jazz. And hopefully, you know, you get a team that's got one common goal. And I think what happened with Shaq last night on the postgame show, you know, we look back in four months, this, this, that date of January 21st may be or could be a moment in time that is will be remembered as that spark. Even though you've won seven in a row, it really could impact Donovan. And it, we'll see how it impacts him negatively or positively. Um, and I think it's going to be the latter. I think it's going to be positive. I really do. I think he's going to take this in a, as a motivator the way I know him. And at 24, he's just getting started. But the way he held his own and was so classy and mature about the situation uh, tells me a lot about the young man. And I think that there's a lot of good days ahead uh, for the Jazz. And uh, I appreciate your time, man. Good questions, good combo. And I'll just say, hey, man, buckle up. Go Jazz. Amen. Thanks, Buller. Have a good one, brother. You too.